We'll hear argument next in number 91-1950, American Dredging Company versus William Robert Miller. Spectators are admonished not to talk until you leave the courtroom. The court remains in session. Mr. Wagner. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The question presented in this case is whether or not the doctrine of forum nonconvenience, as that doctrine has been articulated in the Admiralty Courts, is applicable to maritime claims when filed in state court pursuant to the Saving to Suitors Clause of 28 U.S.C. Section 1333. American Dredging, the petitioner, asks that you answer that question in the affirmative for two strong reasons. First, we respectfully submit that this doctrine is a fundamental and an important feature of the Admiralty Law, which should be respected and applied uniformly by all courts in all situations, regardless of whether filed in state or federal court, regardless of the citizenship, nationality, or residence of the parties. Wasn't the first time that this court enunciated that doctrine, recognized it was not an admiralty, it was an adversity case in Gulf Oil? Uh, Your Honor, I would suggest that the first time this court officially recognized that doctrine was in, in the Ben Gelwin case in 1885, where it recognized that the court could dismiss a claim in dicta uh, for the same reasons as forum nonconvenience, although they did not articulate the Latin phrase forum nonconvenience. My, my concern is that you're, you're constantly associating this with admiralty, and yet, as far as I know, it, it was uh, it part, part of um, equity, and it was also in Gulf Oil, it was a, it's a straight law case for damages. So yeah. form nonconvenience seems to be across-the-board doctrine that applies in uh, cases at law, equity, and in admiralty. Your Honor, the first articulation of the doctrine using the term form nonconvenience did appear in a non-admiralty case. But that case draws its roots, or has its roots, exclusively in the Admiralty. 
In the the older cases of 1804, where Chief Justice Story referred to the convenience of the parties as being able to be considered and whether a court would retain jurisdiction in an admiralty salvage case. In 1885, in a collision case, an admiralty collision case, the court recognized the discretion of the trial court in weighing the various factors of convenience, of nationality, of citizenship, and determining whether to retain jurisdiction. Well, Mr. Wagner, Wagner, the fact that the doctrine may have come up and been applied in some admiralty cases, I don't think negates the suggestion from Justice Ginsburg that it was applied across the board. It was applied in admiralty cases and in other kinds of cases. Your Honor, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, we agree that with that principle, it is now a doctrine whose efficacy, whose utility has been recognized in many other areas of law. Mr. Wagner, even if if, you're correct that it was first enunciated in dictum uh, in admiralty cases in this country. Was it first enunciated in the common law in admiralty cases? I, my impression was that uh, in the English cases it first came up in uh, not in admiralty uh, cases at all. I think, uh, Justice Scalia, that the first consideration of it that I'm aware of was in, in cases in Scotland which were not Scottish trust maritime cases. cases. Right. That's right. correct. But My argument or our principle here is that the admiralty law has a respected position by virtue of the Constitution and that this this particular doctrine, albeit with some roots in non-admiralty, is a fundamental part of admiralty jurisdiction. May I ask you what you meant when you said earlier that it's important that this doctrine be be applied uniformly? Uh, Does that mean that uh, you would say that a, a state court could not be more, neither more restrictive nor less restrictive in its doctrine of foreign nonconvenience? Neither way. My reference is that the rule should be uniform, but the interpretation of the rule is always subject to this discretionary input of the trial judge. Well, not of course, but, but I'm just saying, you, you would say that a state, even if it wants to exclude on the basis of foreign nonconvenience more cases than, than the federal courts would exclude, it cannot do that. Your Honor, that's our position. That's our position. But then you're saying that this doctrine must mean something different in admiralty than it, than it does in other areas because what do you do with Mayfield where the court made it clear that a state doesn't have to copy the federal position on foreign nonconvenience. It can keep the case if it wants it and it, and it, can, and it can dismiss if yes. it wants it. Justice Ginsburg, my response with reference to the Mayfield decision, which was the 1950 decision of this court, was that it did not involve any of the constitutional or supremacy issues associated with the general maritime law, which has... But you, you just said that the doctrine is the same. The form nonconvenience doctrine is a doctrine that cuts across the law. Now you seem to be saying, no, it's different in admiralty than it is in other areas. Your Honor, I, I may have misstated myself. I may not be making myself clear. What I am saying is the admiralty doctrine has been adopted by several other areas of law. And those other areas of law are free because they are not constricted by the uniformity of the general maritime law to change and apply that doctrine in different fashions. But in admiralty, the federal courts, and this court in particular, is the ultimate arbiter what the uniform rules should be. I'm, I'm not, not following your argument. You've already recognized in response to Justice Scalia's question that form nonconvenience does not emerge in the common law world for the first time in the context of admiralty. And it is a doctrine that is now applied across the board to, to cases that were once in equity at law in admiralty. Uh, but now you seem to be saying that this 
this doctrine has some special character in, in admiralty cases that it that differs it from its shape in other cases? I believe that it does, and it has that in two fashions. One, because it is a part of the uniform admiralty law, which, which has a precedence, it has a supremacy that common law doesn't necessarily have. And secondly, the admiralty jurisdiction is by its nature extremely broad, extremely vast. It touches all sorts of areas of law. Why should it have a different application in admiralty than, say, under the FELA, which is a federal statute? Well, I would argue that the, the first reason is because of Article 3, Section 2, Clause 1 of the Constitution, which vests this court and vests the national courts with jurisdiction over all admiralty and maritime cases. And the cases that have interpreted that have all recognized that it is the function of this court and the function of all courts to apply a uniform general maritime law. And that has a standing that the FELA does not have. There is not, no, the FELA is a federal statute. And that's it has correct. to be interpreted uniformly by the federal and state courts that, that apply it. Is that not so? But form nonconvenience is not part of the FELA, whereas form nonconvenience is an integral part of the general maritime law. And I might assert one other thing. I think it's very important to focus on the language of the Jones Act in adopting in adopting the standard of the FELA. I'm referring to the, the just quoting from the Jones Act as, as quoted in the appendix of, of the solicitor's brief. It says that any seaman who shall suffer personal injury in the course of his employment may, at his election, maintain an action for damages at law with the right of trial by jury. And in such action, all statutes of the United States modifying or extending the common law right or remedy in cases of personal injury to railway employees shall apply. One of those statutes which extends and modifies the right of railway workers is Section 1404 of the Judicial Code, which is a federal transfer statute, which was passed explicitly by Congress to provide that FELA cases would be transferable under the same standards that had been judicially established under forum nonconvenience. Missouri versus Mayfield did not address that issue. It did not need to address that issue because it was not a Jones Act case. The Jones Act is a part of the admiralty law, and forum nonconvenience is a part of the admiralty law are fused and, and form part of the uniform law that should be applicable. I, I don't understand the point you're making about 1404A. If this case were brought in, in let's say it were brought in the Federal District Court in Louisiana. It's admiralty, but the transfer mechanism would be 1404A, right? Unless it was to be transferred internationally, Your Honor. In which so, event, but in that, that respect, it's not different from the FELA. Well, it, what I'm trying to express is that there is a dual basis for the uniform application of this doctrine. One is as a, as a part of the general maritime law, and the second is through the express, express text of Congress in the Jones Act in applying all statutes that modify FELA remedies. And indeed, that is exactly... Yeah, but that, what that, that, to that extent, it's the same as the FELA, and it doesn't take you any further than Mayfield. Except that Mayfield did not concern itself, one, with the Jones Act, and two, with the general maritime law of the United States. That... The, the, 
As I understand, one part of what the Jones Act takes from the FELA, if a plaintiff brings a Jones Act case in a state court, Congress has declared that non-removable, right? You can't remove it to federal court. I, the interpretation of this court in the Romero decision is that such a claim is non-removable. Right. So doesn't that cut against your argument that it means that the Congress wanted to say, plaintiff, you have a right to stay in the state court, but state court, we're going to make you conform your form non-convenience doctrine to ours. It's something that seems to be an inconsistency with a claim that's not removable from a state court. Congress has made the judgment that the suitor should be able to choose the forum and then say to the forum, state forum, but you have to make yourself over to look more like a, what a federal court would look Yes, Your Honor. We think that's a very important distinction, is that the non-removability of the Jones Act is something that is recognized, but this is not affected by the ability to transfer this action from one jurisdiction to the other. And in fact, Romero makes very explicit that while causes of action in state court may be maintained under the Savings to Suitors Clause, there is an overriding obligation of the state court to do the work of admiralty, to be an admiralty court, to apply the uniform general maritime law, even though the defendant cannot remove that, cannot otherwise remove the action that is otherwise removable. The Louisiana courts can't transfer this case to Pennsylvania, can they? Wouldn't they simply have to dismiss it and let the plaintiff start anew in Pennsylvania? They would dismiss it, Mr. Chief Judge, subject to certain guarantees protecting the plaintiff's right to proceed. That's in fact what they, the district court did do after finding that Louisiana was a patently inconvenient forum and was forum shopping of the worst sort. So really, your procedures in state court, you say the forum non-convenience doctrine has to be applied uniformly, but whereas a federal district court can transfer it to another federal district, a state trial court can't transfer it to a court in another state. It has to go by a quite different procedure. Well, Your Honor, by analogy, and that's all I can answer, Mr. Chief Justice, is by analogy, is that between the jurisdictions within the state of Louisiana, the state court could transfer. But that's not what we have here. That's correct. I mean, no one is suggesting it belonged in western Louisiana rather than eastern Louisiana. The argument is it belonged in Pennsylvania, as I understand it. That's right, Mr. Chief. Mr. Wagner, do you acknowledge that there were sufficient minimum contacts here to meet the due process clause requirements? Your Honor, I do. Sue in Louisiana. I do at this juncture. We disputed that at the trial court and lost it. I have personal views about that, but we have conceded that point. And in fact, as a matter of general maritime law, forum non-convenience does not arise unless there is the existence of personal jurisdiction, the very minimum contacts Justice O'Connor referred to, and proper venue. We concede those points for the sake of this argument. You're converting a discretionary doctrine. You just said that in order to get to the forum non-convenience point, you must have personal jurisdiction. It must be a place of proper venue. The court is vested with authority to proceed, and I thought that the whole idea of forum non-convenience was that it isn't a compulsory doctrine. That is, although we have authority to proceed, we ought not because there's someplace better where this can go forward. But the whole doctrine seems to me just infused with discretion rather than compulsion, which is 
what you seem to be making of it. Your Honor, I, uh, the, the, I want its application. We request that its application be compulsory. But the doctrine itself, the heart and soul of the doctrine, the issue, the aspect of the doctrine that makes it so valuable is its discretionary function in the trial judge. The trial judge is able to weigh the various factors articulated by this court and determine what is a fair forum for these litigants to try the cases. And the, the, the aspect of its discretionary function is why it serves the admiralty. And by that I mean... But Justice Ginsburg's point is that is, is when you have discretion that broad, different trial judges are going to come to different, uh, uh, different results, widely different results, on the basis of the same facts. That's exactly what discretion is all about. You, you, you can't pretend that you're going to get uniformity of result once you... It, it, it's just contradictory to argue that in the interest of uniformity, we must have everybody adopt this discretionary doctrine, because you're not going to get uniformity. Justice Scalia, I agree with your point, and I think it demonstrates I'm not being clear. I'm not, we are not requesting uniformity of result. That can't be done. What, is it worth anything to, to, to the general maritime law if, if, if you, you can't be sure you're going to get the same results anyway? You can never be sure you'll get the same results I, in, in any trial. What we're asking is the uniformity of the rule. We're asking for the uniform application of the doctrine. Just like we take a set of facts and we give them to one, one prior of fact and ask, is there fault, is there causation? I cannot be sure what the answer will be, but what I can be sure of is the doctrine that defines what fault is. And that's the uniform rule that, which says that a court can do anything it wants is a uniform rule, but it's not very helpful. Well, as I understand you, you're not saying that the court can do anything it wants. You're saying that, you, that if the facts are so extreme, as perhaps they are in this case, that it would always be an abuse of discretion to deny the motion. You ought to be entitled to it in those extreme cases. That's right. And that, to that extent, it's a uniform rule. That's, that's right. We're asking for a rule that is subject to the discretion of the trial court, overturnable by abuse of discretion. That'll be very rare, but let, let, let me ask why, why you think uniformity is, is helpful or needful in this area. As I understand it, maritime law proceeds from the assumption that international commerce uh, has to have stable rules and uniform rules, but I thought that was so that people could rely upon, upon those rules in formulating their conduct. But, but this has nothing to do with conduct. It's, it's not something that one relies on. Your Honor, I... You know, w w how you keep your ship, how you... Uh, execute your contracts, all of those things are not affected by, by the doctrine of foreign non-convenience. Presumably the same law is going to apply no matter where the suit's brought. I respectfully disagree that it doesn't shape the conduct of the parties. Once you have infused the admiralty law with this type of disunity, this type of dissonance, then you invite litigants to race to the favorable courthouse, which may or may not have this rule, which may or may not have other state rules which may be friendly or may not be friendly, without regard to what is a fair forum. And so, what, and, and I've cited it in our, in our petition. It's fair in the sense that there's a basis for personal jurisdiction over your client. It meets the due process requirements. You can't say that there's something fundamentally unfair about being subject to suit in, in Louisiana when you've, uh, you've, in effect, consented to suit by filing in that state by registering. We agree that it satisfies due process requirements for sake of, of personal jurisdiction. Our point here is that if you don't have a uniform rule in admiralty that invites the court, that directs the court to consider what is a fair forum, 
while one plaintiff is resorting to filing in Louisiana, one insurer is filing a direct action statute in Pennsylvania, one employer is filing a direct, uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a declaratory judgment in Pennsylvania, and the, and the employer is filing an action here. You're asking for the parties to race for the courthouse, which will give it the best deal, because you have not instilled in the trier of fact the ability to say the fair forum for this case is, in this instance, Pennsylvania. Without regard to who's got the best law, without regard to, to uh, whether it's an American or a non-American who's, who's filed the claim. It's a fundamental rule of fairness that where should these maritime litigants? I, I think that the point made by Justice Jackson in the Loritzen case speaks well to this. If we let every jurisdiction which has any contact or sufficient constitutional contact with a maritime litigant to exercise its full breadth of authority, the overlapping duplicative burdens that will exist upon maritime actors will, will totally, totally surround and disrupt the ability to have effective maritime commerce. It is for this reason, I res we respectfully submit, that the admiralty law, admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, is the one substantive area of jurisdiction recognized in Article Three of the Constitution. Mr. Wagner, let me take you off in a different direction. Uh, you've been speaking of uniformity all along. This case is between domestic parties, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, suppose that there were some foreign persons involved here. Would you have different considerations that enter into your calculus? I think different considerations enter into the trial judge's way of its discretion depending upon the nationality of the parties, their residents. But I think the formula is the same. Uh, in fact, the Louisiana rule is not restricted in its focus on American and non-American claimants. And it's not restricted to personal injury claims. Form non-convenience has been a part of the admiralty law in every area. Salvage, collision, personal injury, product liability, marine insurance, maritime liens. The Louisiana rule would discard all of that. Get jurisdiction and let the state exercise its jurisdiction to the full breadth of its authority without regard to its impact on maritime commerce. We respectfully submit that that is detrimental to the constitutional underpinnings of, an, of not, a system. Not all of maritime system. law. I think the, in Louisiana now under their statutes, it's only Jones Act claims that are... No, Your Honor, it applies Jones to maritime. Jones Act and maritime law. Texas has recently amended its statute, but it's unclear whether it's affecting, affecting maritime law or not. Our ultimate position is the unfettered extension of jurisdiction without this discretionary authority on the part of the trial court, expressed, I think, most ably by Judge Federoff, by the trial judge. This forum is totally inconvenient and represents forum shopping of the worst sort. It was only through his ability to decide the case, an admiralty case, that he could direct this case into a fair forum. But it's inconvenient for the defendant, not for the plaintiff. Oh, but the plaintiff took the position, the plaintiff took the position that I could have filed in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, I could have filed in Mississippi. But I have an unfettered right to go where I want to go. The plaintiff, the Mississippi resident, files in Louisiana. So it's hard to argue that this is a decision based upon convenience, and the plaintiff never challenged in the trial court, 
never challenged at that level, at least, the fact that this was patently inconvenient. But, but the plaintiff is totally disabled. Do you concede no, that? No, Your Honor, we do not concede that. The plaintiff has said that in a footnote in his brief that was not raised at the trial court level. And well, living in Mississippi, true, but he's not very far from New Orleans, is he? That's correct, Your Honor. If I might, I'd like to reserve the balance of my time. Very well, Mr. Wagner. Mr. Falcon, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The policy of the state of Louisiana, which is articulated in Article 123C of our Code of Civil Procedure, is not barred by, nor is it inconsistent with, the congressional policies that underlie the Jones Act. In fact, this law furthers those policies by ensuring that the state courts of Louisiana will effectuate Jones Act's broad liberal venue provisions. American Dredging Company has not gone, come before this Court and demonstrated that Article 123C, as it applies in this case, is un unconstitutional. And that is really well, one, one puzzling piece of this is that, that Louisiana now has a general form of nonconvenience provision, and it exempts Jones Act and maritime. You would think if the concern was the one that you just mentioned, they put the FELA in the same category because that, too, is a non-removable um, federal claim. What is the explanation for exempting Jones Act and maritime uh, law claims from, from the general form nonconvenience statute? If I can clarify, the, the Louisiana statute is not now a broad form nonconvenience application. It only actually was, our, was enacted to allow a transfer between one district court in the state of Louisiana to another one. There was a problem that was recognized in the Trahan case in Louisiana that because of our civilian tradition, which form nonconvenience doctrine is foreign to, not a part of, Louisiana passed this article to allow a transfer on the form of nonconvenience grounds from one district court to another. At the same time, they did allow a transfer out of state. Not a transfer. An I'm sorry, a, a dismissal in form of nonconvenience to an out-of-state court if it was premised on a federal statute only. At the same time, they decided to exempt the Jones Act from that type of dismissal. But not the FELA. Well, in fact, in, 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 as the statute operates, the FBLA claim can be transferred to another, uh, I'm sorry, dismissed on foreign nonconvenience. So what was the reason for distinguishing the, these two claims that are so close in substance, FBLA I, and Jones Act? Yes, I, I believe that the real reason is if you dismiss a, form, a, a FELA case on foreign nonconvenience, the case will be transferred most likely to another American jurisdiction. The railroads only run across our land. If you get dismissed from Louisiana, more than likely you'll be in Missouri, or you'll go to Montana, or you'll go to some other state. A dismissal under the Jones Act on foreign nonconvenience, especially today with the multinational corporations and the broad reach of where these people are being sent to, especially Louisiana uh, and, and, and other people that work on these ships, they're sent all around the world. And what happens when you go around the world, if your cause of action arises in Singapore, you come back to Louisiana and you get dismissed on form of nonconvenience, you've got to go back to Singapore. Well, what about the situation of a case where one of the parties is foreign and the uh, operative events occur beyond the borders of the United States? You think uh, Louisiana's rule uh, should be upheld in that situation? The first thing you'd have to look at in that situation is whether or not the Jones Act applies. You do the Lauritsen Rodides analysis. After you do that analysis, if the Jones Act applies, the Jones Act, as a congressional announcement, says the plaintiff has the right to file suit where the person, defendant is doing business. So in that case, Louisiana, if they're doing business in Louisiana, we meet the constitutional minimum requirements 
of substantial justice and fair play, then they can be sued there in furtherance of the congressional policy. Uh, if it's foreign litigants that are, are, and the Jones Act does not apply, the traditions of admiralty have actually been that the admiralty courts of the United States will hear those cases. The, um, it's talked about... Well, the Louisiana statute doesn't require that, it be, that the corporation be doing, the defendant be doing business there, does it? Just minimum contacts. Louisiana statute is the same requirements as this court's constitutional requirements. All right, but that's minimum contacts, not doing business. Right. The, the, the doing business that I'm referring, referring to is the Section 6 of the FILA, case, uh, FILA Act itself, which says the employer can be sued wherever he's doing business. And that's incorporated into the Jones Act. <laughs> Congress gives the workers that, the that's not, that's not a, Is that a limitation on the jurisdictions in which the corporation, in which the defendant may be sued? No, that's, only, that's a venue provision. That's a, a loud venue provision. It's not a limitation. The only limitations on the jurisdiction are this court's pronouncements in international issue and the other uh, jurisdiction. But case. you have to meet the venue requirement in order to bring a Jones Act case. Yes, but if this case, if we did not meet jurisdiction requirements, American dredging could have got out. If we did not meet the venue requirements of FILA as enacted through Jones Act, they would have also gotten out. Was American dredging doing business in Louisiana? Yes, ma'am. At that time, they were doing business. They had an agent for service of process. In fact, they were using the Louisiana courts themselves at the time as a, as a plaintiff. Anything other than having an agent? They were, they were soliciting business through, um, through the American, uh, I'm sorry, through the Corps of Engineers in order to get, get more work. To answer, American Dredging Company puts major emphasis that the doctrine of form nonconvenience is a uniform and characteristic feature of the Admiralty Law. If we look at the history of the Admiralty Law, in, in footnote 5 of the Moran case, which is decided by this court, it's actually the Admiralty Law itself is traced to civilian doctrine. The Admiralty Law rose through uh, civilian law such as France and Louisiana, and as the Supreme Court of Louisiana said in, in the Miller case, the doctrine of form nonconvenience is actually foreign to our traditions. So it's not fair to say that form nonconvenience came from Admiralty because the doctrine itself was foreign to the actual origins of Admiralty. And to trace, and as, as Justice Ginberg's pointed out, it was first recognized in a non-maritime case. American Dredging Company has also tried to state that Section 1404A, which allows a transfer of a FILA case, is applicable to this case and is the reason why we should, the Supreme Court should be overruled. The case they're, they're referring to is Henri Collette, which is a railroad case that distinguished between Section 6 of the FILA action, dealing with the broad venue provision, and 1404A, which allowed only a federal court to transfer a case. That case was further clarified in Pope v. Atlantic Coast Railroads, where the court said that the FILA claim that's filed in state court still cannot be dismissed on form nonconvenience if that dis they decided not to. Unless the court has any further questions. Thank you, Mr. Falcon. Uh, Mr. Manning, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I just wish to emphasize three points very briefly. First, as this Court recognized in Miles v. Apex Marine, maritime tort law is now a field dominated by federal statute. And this Court has looked repeatedly to the Jones Act in defining the tort remedies available to a maritime employee like respondent. The Jones Act, in turn, incorporates 
by reference the rights and remedies given to railway workers under the FELA. And this Court has repeatedly looked to FELA precedents in defining the scope of remedies available under the Jones Act. Thus, the Mayfield case is highly relevant in this context because there the Court held that under the FELA, state courts are free to apply their own doctrine of form nonconvenience in FELA cases. That the court said that the, the state courts are free to accept or reject the doctrine of, of form nonconvenience in those cases. Thus, Mayfield is highly relevant here, and we believe that it disposes of the case, both as to the Jones Act claim and as to the unseaworthiness and maintenance and cure claims. Mr. Manning, would you address the foreign party situation, please? Y yes, Your Honor. The United States does not take a position on whether the doctrine of form nonconvenience would be available, would be a preemptive doctrine of federal law in state courts where foreign parties and events are involved. I would note, however, that the United States urges this court to leave that question open. We believe that the considerations in such cases may well be different for two reasons. First, where foreign parties and events are involved, there may be, in addition to the considerations relied on by petitioner, considerations involving comedy and reciprocity that implicate greater federal interests. Secondly, in the admiralty cases that have defined the doctrine of forum nonconvenience, going back to Williamson v. Forsocket in 1801 and the ship Leroux in 1804, the doctrine was traditionally articulated in terms of its effect on, on foreign parties. The court would typically say, we have jurisdiction over this case. However, we have, we have discretion. There, the trial court has discretion to decline to hear the case because foreign parties are involved. So there are two different doctrines? The, the, the source of the forum nonconvenience argument being presented in this case is a different source than the forum nonconvenience doctrine that's applied to foreigners? Well, well Justice Kennedy, the, the question is whether is the federal interest in the case. And we believe that there is a difference in the federal interest that's implicated when foreign but parties is, is are involved. Is it fair to say you're saying that there are two different forum nonconvenience doctrines, one for foreign parties and the other for domestic parties? Your Honor, we're saying that there might be and that the court should reserve the question. You're talking about admiralty peculiarly? You can have foreign parties in a diversity case, too. That's true, Justice Ginsburg, but in the admiralty cases traditionally, the, the doctrine was applied most strongly when foreign parties are involved. But again, I would like to emphasize that the United States is not taking a position on the foreign party situation, but simply urging the court to reserve that question. You reserve two questions. One is whether when you're in a state court but the defendants are from abroad, that forum nonconvenience might have a federal flavor? That's correct. Or, or, no matter what the character of the case, a case, equity law or admiralty? Well, well, Your Honor, it might be different in admiralty cases because there's a tradition of admiralty preemption that emanates from Article III. That tradition might not be available when you deal with other forms of civil litigation. There's a tradition, Jensen versus Southern Pacific and so forth, of this court's uh, finding preemptive force of admiralty law in admiralty cases in state court. So it may be a different answer for admiralty cases. Again, we're simply asking the court what to do that. What do you make of the non-removability of these claims? Because if the federal, if Congress wanted to give effect to the federal policy, it could do that very easily simply by making these cases removable, and then the federal court could apply federal form nonconvenience. We, we do find that highly significant, and in the domestic context, we would note that the Jones Act has a venue provision that applies, as this court has held, only in federal court. In fact, this, this court has said that under the Jones Act, 
the presumption that state courts are entitled to control, that states are entitled to control the dockets of their own courts was left undisturbed by Congress. We think that is also highly relevant in addressing the form nonconvenience question because it shows that Congress believed that matters of state court form selection were matters for the court, were matters for the states when it enacted the Jones Act. If there are no further questions. I, I have a question on what you meant by reciprocity. You said considerations of reciprocity, um, comedy, those are um, not only always clear words that would figure when we're dealing with a foreign party. Your Honor, traditionally in the doctrine of, in the application of the, the doctrine of form nonconvenience in federal admiralty cases, this court has considered whether there was an interest on the part of a foreign party in whether this dispute should be resolved, for example, if there was a dispute between a foreign seaman and the ship and a foreign ship over wages, there was typically a, a question whether that was the kind of dispute that a foreign that the foreign country would want resolved by the question by the, the courts of this nation. Sometimes what would happen is that the court would consult the consul of that foreign country and get, in a sense, approval before it would proceed with the case. And so questions of comedy and reciprocity of treatment. If it's that case, then then we're talking about U.S. substantive law applying. That's right, Your Honor. And that goes to the question of choice of law, which, as uh, counsel for respondent indicated, depends in part on the flag of the vessel, the nationality of the seaman, the nationality of the ship owner. If there were any U.S. interest, if this were... um, a totally foreign situation. If, if it were, the Jones Act wouldn't apply. It, it's very likely that the Jones Act would not apply, and the cases which would suggest that are Romero and Lortzen versus Larson, which are cited in our brief. If there are no further Thank questions. Thank you, Mr. Manning. Uh, Mr. Wagner, you have six minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I'd like to address a number of the points that were raised, but I don't think anyone is more important than the question of whether or not there should be a different rule for one set of litigants as for another set. I think the whole concept of a uniform general maritime law grows out of the recognition that in order to promote maritime commerce, a single expected system should be identified. To take this rule of form nonconvenience that the lower courts have consistently applied to both national claimants and local claimants and international claimants, and fragment it and say, well, Mr. Plaintiff from Bermuda, you can have a form nonconvenience doctrine, or Mr. Defendant from America, you can or you cannot, is to harken back to the very kind of dichotomy, the very kind of local protectionism that I submit was the reason the admiralty law was recognized. Wagner, you would have no case, would you, if this plaintiff came from Mississippi instead of Louisiana? If he came from Louisiana instead of Mississippi? Uh, yes, yeah. Your Honor. Uh, Louis, yeah, I'm sorry. You're yes, right. Your Honor. I would have no claim, no case whatsoever. And that's exactly my point. This is all about the, the distance that this man lives. In, he lives inside Mississippi instead of Louisiana. If he lived across the border, you would have no case. I would have no case. But I respectfully disagree that it's just about that. It's about what's a fundamentally fair way to try a dispute between the parties without inviting the parties all that changes if he moved. How many miles would he have to move to be inside Louisiana borders? Maybe 60 miles, Your Honor. But the whole point, what changes, Your Honor, is we have taken away the power of the trial judge to decide what's fair and what's not fair. In this very same court, the Civil District Court for the Parish of Orleans, in Marcus versus Bermuda Starline, applying this very same statute, 
the Louisiana Supreme Court held that the trial court must hear a case, a Jones Act case, by a Greek seaman sailing a Panamanian vessel between Bermuda and Boston. So it's not merely the distance, Your Honor. I respectfully submit it is the power of the trial judge to decide what's fair, what's proper. Once you take away that power, you create all sorts of possibilities of extensive forum shopping and vexatious litigation. The government suggests that the, that the, the last uh, situation you described could be handled by having or leaving open the possibility of a, of a separate rule for, uh, for cases where, the, uh, where, where you have foreign uh, uh, defendants or plaintiffs. What, what, uh, um, what do you think? Would you like half a loaf rather than none? Is there something wrong with that proposal? There's something terribly wrong in what principle wrong with, with that? that, and that is it's the anathema of the general maritime law. And how do we divide that? Does the American defendant get the nod over the foreign plaintiff? Does the American plaintiff get the nod over the foreign defendant? And how foreign? Do we then dissect this? The whole beauty, beauty, the mastery of foreign nonconvenience is, is that it is discretionary. It puts in the power of the trial judge, the person who has to decide what's convenient. In Rocker's eyes, we had the doctors testifying from Greece by phone. The whole point of this is that trial judge who faces these very critical issues of what's fair and is not fair is able to say, this case is in a patently inconvenient forum, and like the federal system, I will dismiss this conditioned upon. Mr. Defendant, you're not raising procedural or limitation objections and going forward in the proper forum of Pennsylvania. That's the mastery. That's, that is the effectiveness of this tool. It, it complements this broad, broad breadth of admiralty jurisdiction, whether it be obtained in rim, whether it be by rid of foreign attachment, whether it's salvage or personal injury, it puts in the hands of the trial judge the ability, discretionary, to say this is a fair forum. It accords the plaintiff an appropriate deference to his or her original selection. That is entitled to great weight, and it ensures, it ensures that the alternate forum will have a suitable remedy. And then it weighs the questions of what's a convenient way to try this case, convenience of the parties, the witnesses. In fact, I need to make this fundamental point clear. In Admiralty, this has never been a question of what the Solicitor General has called judicial housekeeping a docket control. So it's handy in a non-marine setting. But in Admiralty, it services the broad breadth of that jurisdiction, makes it effective, and makes it fair. I respectfully submit that on that basis, the decision of the Louisiana Supreme Court should be reversed. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Wagner. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock. <laughs>